I struggle when I return back to the U.S. to really figure out which way I wanted to direct my life, whether to continue dentistry or to to really listen to my heart and, and calling to really solve this problem once and for all. You know, and this is really what I decided to do after many thinking. I decided, you know what, we can allow spoken spot, but it was the duality of of the moment of the earthquake and the reaction of the children that really inspired me knowing that I wanted to tell those unspoken stories behind each of those smiles. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message was from Jean-Paul Laurent, the founder of Unspoken Smiles. And on today's episode, I asked Jean-Paul about what moment defined his career, how a toothbrush can brighten a child's day, and the challenges of dental care worldwide. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the real Jean-Paul Laurent. Enjoy. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. All right, let's rock and roll. Here we go. Big smiles today in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the founder and CEO of Unspoken Smiles, the mayor of Smile, Montantis préféré, Jean-Paul Laurent. Jean-Paul, how are we doing today? Merci. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me uh, on Real Leaders. It is truly an honor, and I think we've been talking about this for years. And, you know, I'm a big fan of this, uh, of Real Leaders. And to finally be, be on it right now, it's, it's truly an honor. And I'm so excited to talk to your listeners about what we are doing and how we came to to, to bring more smiles around the world uh, uh, here. So I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And that's a really good point. You know, we have been talking about this for a long time. We met in Concordia and we're, it's kind of just like one of those things like, yeah, let's get you on the podcast, get you on the podcast. And then we've just kind of just maintained, uh, you know, connections uh, through Instagram. Thank God for Instagram nowadays. And uh, we're, we're happy to have you on the show and I'm excited to have you. I think our guests are really going to enjoy um, your story, your background and your initiative right now, what you're doing uh, for uh, people around the world. It's a fascinating story, everybody. Uh, but before we begin, Jean-Paul, how many, I just spoke some French to you, how many languages do you speak? Well, uh, fluently, I speak uh, uh, three languages, which that would be like English and French and Creole, because in Haiti, I grew up in Haiti uh, all my adult life uh, and, and moved to the U.S. until I was 21. So all my education from uh, primary school all the way to university were then uh, in Haiti. And, uh, and in Haiti, we mostly speak French and Creole. And um, but I learned English when I, I moved to 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 the U.S. about 16 years ago in 2004. Uh, actually, last month was like uh, the 16 years anniversary in the U.S. But you know, aside from that, one of my favorite language uh, in the world is smile. You know, it's language that transcends all boundaries, ethnicities, socioeconomic status. And I think that language that connects 
us all in this crazy world. And, you know, no matter where you are, uh, what's your status, smiling is always uh, a language that connects everyone, you know? And I'm, I'm so happy to be uh, the vehicle by which many other children around the world will be able to smile uh, to this language. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, uh, you know, before this podcast, I was like, okay, we got, we got the mayor's smile coming on. Like I got to chug my coffee. I went downstairs. I knew I had to brush my teeth for you. Now my mouth just tastes like a peppermint mocha. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of that smile concept. I got the smile hat on today. And I'm hoping we can provide more smiles for our audience out there listening to this. But John Paul, you mentioned that uh, you came over from Haiti in 2004. Now, you weren't there for two, the 2010 earthquake, were you? No, actually, I was working at the at a dental office uh, at the Rockefeller Center, and um, and I was always uh, I was also a student at NYU College of Dentistry at that time. And then when my boss told me the news, hey, there's big earthquake in Haiti, my heart dropped because I have my nephew there, I have my uh, family from my mom's side still there. I was panicking. And, and he said, you know, if you need to take time to leave, just do it and connect with your family. So I, I immediately do that and call my parents to make sure that everyone is okay. But the sad part is we couldn't connect with anyone because communication was shut down. We don't know who survived, who didn't survive. And at that time, like the word started spreading all around the news and people, start, a lot of attention started going to Haiti. Now, it's something that I've never uh, experienced before and I never hope to experience that ever again. But you know, the love and support that we received at that time from colleagues, from the Americans communities, it, it really touched me and pushed me to act and do something, you know? Mm. And that I decided, you know what, if as a citizen uh, and having have many friends that I went to high school with and friends who passed away, and for me to sit around and not do anything would be uh, would be something that I couldn't tolerate. So, and it it was the first time I made the decision to go back to Haiti. Then since moving to the U.S., you know, I moved in two thousand four and never went back. I was still focusing in school and learning and try to make the best of myself because I didn't have the parents to tell me, "Hey, this is what we built for you." And you can just like follow through. I was I had to build myself from the back, from the bottoms up, you know. And uh, so from that moment, I, I decided to take action, and I contacted some people to to give me supports and supplies because the only thing I, I knew how to do is to to do dent, dental care for the kids because I didn't have money. I was still a student, and um, so a year after the earthquake, when everything uh, started to open up in this, uh, the country, when they allowed people to travel back, I made a trip there to camp near my brother's home. And 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 all he said, I remember, we brought all the packages of supplies and dental uh, screening materials that we brought mm -hmm. and said, hey, we are here for the kids. And within seconds, like, we got flooded with people. I mean... Like, it's something that I've never seen before, because even though I grew up in Haiti, there are certain lives I, I never experienced until that moment. Mm -hmm. And living in the U.S. for a couple of years, your eyes open, 
and you get to see how people really live and a lot of things that you didn't get to see when you were in Haiti. That's why most people who live in Haiti will never travel. The only thing that they know is Haiti. It's the best country to them. Everything. That's why makes them resilient to poverty because they know nothing better. Mm. But for to be able to travel outside to experience how people truly live, how people are dealing with uh, not, not having to deal with studying and stay hungry the entire day while you open the book or you have to to go to to a street corner to find lights to study on this is the kind of life we grew up with but when you come here you get all those access the student club the student body anything that you need is available to you it's a completely different life and give you a different perspective when you go back to that country and you see wow this is this is really what I see in your poverty there, you know, because before then I never experienced it. And from there, you know, and on top of that, the reaction that I received from those people, you know, it shows that despite the tragedy, the death and, and, uh, and the, all those loss, you think that those people will be uh, sad. They, they, they will show in their faces, you know, but they were like so happy to greet me and, and so excited. The children were smiling. And for what? For just toothbrushes and, and, and something as basic that we, we, we don't take for granted here. We take for granted here, rather. And uh, so that really touched me. That's when I was, you know what? Maybe there's something for me there. You know, God made me uh, do this trip to use uh, my knowledge and skills in dentistry to do good to other people that need them the most, because I knew it was a an issue that people don't take, uh, don't give too much importance, because it's one of the most overlooked health problems in the world, even though it affects nearly 3.48 billion people. You know, there's like 486 million children around the world who have untreated to decay, mm. and that's 100% preventable. You know, right. but the problem is the un, uh, because on the underserved communities, dentistry is seen as a luxury, and people don't don't take action until it's too late. You know, and for me, like all those kind of things came after after I made this trip, and I said, you know what, maybe there's something I can do to help. And for me, the best way for me to realize how to help was to really launch a project that could receive support from my community to help. Because typically, those dental organizations are started by retired dentists who have a lot of money, or dental insurance companies or products like Colgate's who have like a business and they have a charity side where they give, give to people. So in the history of dentistry, never before someone as an undergrad student, was able to build something that I, I, I was able to build, you know, because those kind of programs, they are built by retired dentists and, and also major corporations who have the money, who have the supplies. But for me, um, I, I struggle when I return back to the U.S. to really figure out which way I wanted to direct my life, whether to continue dentistry or to to really listen to my heart and, and calling to really solve this problem once and for all. 
you know, and this is really what I decided to do after many thinking, I decided, you know what, we can launch on Spoken Smart. But it was the duality of, of the moment of the earthquake and the reaction of the children that really inspired me knowing that I wanted to tell those unspoken stories behind each of those smiles. Because even though the children were going through so many things, and, but they were still smiling, you know? Mm. And that really touched me. And that's where the name Unspoken Smile came from. And, and, and really uh, it, it kind of grew from just Haiti to other countries because smiling is very infectious, you know? And once you start spread, spreading smiles in one place and then before you know it, it will go around the world, which is uh, what really happened. And to think that we are sad because we have to stay inside over these past couple weeks uh, weeks is just mind-boggling. You think (laughs) about perspective. That is because, you know, our organization started from tragedy, you know, because we are used to this. and, And there's nothing more important than making sure that we keep a smile people's face as they go into those things. And that's why w- when I had the vision behind the organization, I didn't want to go to places where uh, there's happiness. I wanted to go to places affected by problems, you know? And, and issues like like when we were to uh, we were to an area in India called Gatchioli District. It's one of the most underserved communities in India, with the highest rate of oral cancer in the entire world, not just in India. And and nobody's there. Even Indian citizens have no idea where that location is. But to this. You know, I made the call to go to that location uh, and drove like four and a half hours from the main city of Nagpur to visit that place, very uh, 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 indigenous communities living there. But guess what? There are children there. There are beautiful children. There are schools. There are like ch- uh, women. There are like life goes on in that community. And that's what gave me joy because by being someone to be able to go to places that no one ever wants to go and to to see the appreciation, the love that the smiles and the supplies bring to those people really truly makes our program very special. Now, Jean-Paul, um, what are the expectations for someone coming out of Haiti? First off, I want to make sure your family is good from the from the earthquake. Is that is that right? You here with me? Jean-Paul, you there? Jean-Paul, if you can hear me, I cannot hear you or see you. I'm going to chat you really quick. Hello? You back? You back? There we go. All right, you back. Yes, yes. All right, so uh, Jean-Paul, I was just going to say, like, what are some of the uh, expectations for someone like you coming out of Haiti? You know, you mentioned uh, this blanket of um, uh, resiliency through poverty, you know, people not understanding that they were, and, and Haiti's the best country. First off, so like, how 
how big of a country population wise is Haiti? And then what are some of the expectations for someone like you uh, coming out of there? Yes, uh, that's a very good point. And uh, Haiti is a population of 11 million people right now. And I, in my time when I was growing up in Haiti, we had systems that works. We have schools that work. You know, I went all my life to Catholic schools, which is the best schools in the countries. And, um, and, and, and the, the level of education that we received at that time was like really advanced. In fact, when I came here, and I really pushed myself. My only limitation was the English language. Mm. I was way ahead when I got into community college. There were certain level of things I was already doing in high school in Haiti. Mm. And I was already doing so. I, during my time, the education was really good. And, uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's just the opportunities that, that giving people the need to leave the country, the urge to leave the country, you know, because uh, you you will have very smart people graduating from from college with master's degrees and have nothing to do in Haiti. They spend the, the rest of the years uh, without finding jobs because the only job you can get in Haiti is is in the if you join a political parties. Like, mm. And then people with serious mm-hmm. reputations don't want to join this. Like the only way you really can be successful at making money and, and be successful in Haiti right now is to really join a political party and join parliaments and everything like that. Everything else be, beyond that uh, is met with struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no competitions. There are few people... Uh, controlling the business sector in Haiti and don't give any opportunities for young people to 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 join in mm. and to grow and also they shut down any opportunities for the diaspora to go back to Haiti and do businesses so for years all the system has been established in a way that only the people who are, who are already making money can only make money mm. and, and is, that, really- is that corruption it is because they control uh, the politicians, they control uh, the gangsters on the street, and whenever they need to disturb the country, the peace of the country, they pay those people to to disturb the peace and control it. They control every single thing. Hmm. So I think moving forward for 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 Haiti to be successful and giving more opportunities for the young, the smart young people. I mean, just like we have like very smart young people there. For them to succeed, they have to have the opportunities to grow and be successful. Otherwise, they become very successful outside of Haiti, mm. you know. And like someone like talent, like for like myself, if it wasn't for the opportunities that I that was created for me by the by this great country, I don't know where my life would be in Haiti, mm. you know. And this is the the worry of many young people even though they go to school, they graduate from college, but beyond that, there's really nothing for them to, to move on, you know? And that's why when people move to, from Haiti move here, you see like two different kinds of people. Those who knew where they came from and want to take advantage of being in this great country to take advantage of all the resources available here 
to not only make something for themselves, but also give back to those people in Haiti that don't have no voice, no, no one to help them. You know, and also on the other end, we have a group of people who are stuck with the with the old ways, and they all they want to do, you know, you see, you know what? I want to be here. I I want to be a, a a doctor. That's it. So for them, for some people who comes from the Caribbean family or the mm-hmm. Haitian communities. For you to be successful, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, all the regular jobs. You know, nothing beyond that is considered successful for them. And that's why when I made decisions to not uh, continue with dentistry, to to focus on on the nonprofit sector, and this was considered a failure. You know, no matter how much good you wanted to do in the world, it's still considered because. People are not used to those kind of uh, entrepreneurship uh, uh, lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and and then it's it's, it's just uh, the, the system is is really like some people are like really stuck and don't know where to go because they don't have guidance, uh, and um, so that's that's pretty much uh, how it works here. I mean, you could almost make the same argument about today's capitalist society in uh, America. Obviously, capitalism does a lot of good things, but the um, the idea that we only do the things we do for our shareholders uh, is also could be considered a form of corruption to many people. Uh, whether you're excluding the communities, the people around you, how business used to be, you know. Uh, so, I mean, God, God bless everyone who is, uh, in the nonprofit sector and, or is just in a stakeholder capitalistic mindset, uh, who, uh, wants to make sure that they are, uh, providing value to more than, than just the shareholders. But uh, I digress, Jean-Paul, I don't know how much the politicians would like you if you, you know, back in Haiti, uh, for, a, for someone who forged their company, you know, in a crisis. Um, so the, the question I have for you is, uh, you know, you just mentioned, oh, do you want I, I- yeah. Before I lose that thought, I, I would say I can't be a politician because I, I like my freedom to make decisions, you know, and I'm a problem solver, you know, and and uh, you need to be able to uh, to to make decisions that don't rely on other people's uh, personal interests. And I think that's I'm perfectly happy where I am. And as long as uh, I can, I, I'm really to to continue in this path and train more people to, to take over once I uh, decide to do other ventures. Well, it's okay. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I'll stick on that topic. It's like, uh, you know, you make decisions that, you know, you trust in your gut, right? So like the, what what business schools are teaching nowadays, and I'm reading this book called the golden passport. It's a big critic book on the Harvard business school and how it's changed over the years. And what they're saying is like they're teaching these students, these MBA students to just make decisions off of numbers in the short term. So, of course, our society is going to, uh, you know, evolve the way it has been if everyone's focused on shareholder profits for the short term. Everything, every recession that we've had, every single downfall that we've had, every single time uh, a crisis like this hits and people get their jobs cut and all the debt's still up there and people have to let employees go is because of this thinking it's because of this idea that a business's sole purpose is to maximize shareholder value 
Um, and you just totally, uh, economists blow that off because they think that humans act in rational ways and we're not rational human beings. We're rational human beings. And so you like, look at us, like we, we have this fallacy that profit and success or success is profit in this country. And it's totally twisted. It's totally twisted. Um, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you think about, you know, um, countries like Haiti and go, man, they got it right. But what you're telling me is that, you know, the politicians and the the corporate greed there is also, um, you know, taking it down the wrong path as well. It's it's very interesting. It's a very interesting world we live in, Jean-Paul. Um, but let's let's keep smiling here. So uh, the you mentioned the kids in um, where'd you say it was you said it was in India. You were working in Romania, El Salvador, Guatemala, Haiti, Kurdistan, Dominican Republic in the U.S., so maybe explain to our audience, what are some of the problems? Uh, you mentioned that a little bit earlier about uh, the lack of dental care and how it's a high profession uh, in those organizations. You're seeking these areas of opportunity, these marginal communities. Um, how important is it for them to get dental care? Um, and what are some of the stories that you have for our audience about uh, the impact that you've been able to make? Yes, yeah, so that's a very good point. So. I grew up in Haiti and I don't recall going to a dentist uh, as a young kid, you know? And I think probably my first visit was when I when I'm off here, you know? But I was lucky enough, I didn't like sweets too much. I don't have cavities. I never had any cavities till this day, knock on wood. But uh the re- the reality is not the same for many other people, you know, and and then for instance, uh, when we did our first project, we did it in an area called Jack Mel. So it's in a mountain region uh, there, when the only source of water is from the rain, and there's no fluoride in the water to protect them from having cavities. And in the school settings, we have those uh, people selling candies. For the kids, so there's a lot of consumption of uh, sugary snacks and all this that coupled with the the bad diet and not brushing properly enough. The level of of up to decay that I saw during the screening was like really high, you know. And check this out: in that community, also there were no dental clinics, none, zero. But there is a hospital there. And the entire communities rely on, on international organizations to come in probably once or twice a year to take care of the, the dental needs of those communities. Hmm. And which sometimes is not really sustainable because first, they don't have the proper equipment to provide the, the right care. And, um, and there's, so many, they, they, there's so many people, they cannot treat everyone. So it's, it's just like the entire um, social determinants around dental care in those regions makes it really more difficult to provide care. Mm. And, and then the other, the, on the other end, so that's why when, when I decided to go after this program, I really wanted to design a program that not only addressed the immediate needs of dental care for those kids who are currently in needs of care, but also for the long terms by tackling the root causes of those issues, you know, because if your community don't have uh, a dental clinics, 
Well, no matter how much you travel with unspoken smile to that clinic, that problems will still persist five years from now, 10 years from now, and forever, unless you decide to put a dental clinics in that region that can take care of the needs of each communities on their own. So that's the vision that we had when we designed our programs. Uh, So the the problem is how do we do that? Because, uh, well, there are are very smart people who are graduating and with no path towards anything because parents cannot pay for them to go to university. And those people are just sitting there not doing anything. Hmm. That's where we came in. We say, you know, we're going to design a fellowship program to train local women in those communities as community dental care professionals to equip each communities with their own healthcare providers so that way they don't have to depend on free charity care. They can provide care with each communities uh, uh, on, a, on a routine basis. Just like you have dental care uh, clinics here that calls you twice a year to go come get your dental cleanings, starting with the basic cleanings so those women will be able to provide care within those communities. So that's our long-term goal. Our short-term goal was like to really partner with local schools to educate kids about the need to brush properly as so they can prevent future infections over the, over the upcoming years. And while creating a system within the school for ongoing education and giving them free supplies on an annual basis so that they have the resources, not just the knowledge, but also the resources to take care of their own team. And a good example that I can use is one of the programs we did in Brooklyn as a pilot program at Ember Charter Schools, where we had like about 40 kids. They went into our programs. We gave them a yearly supplies of dental uh, uh, dental kits to maintain their kids. We screened them at the beginning. We screened them at the end. 100% of them maintains proper oral hygiene, zero cavities. Wow. So by continuing to do this and implement this model within the school, because at, in school settings, we're able to reach a large number of children all at once and be able to measure the impact of the program as they move on to the next classes uh, of progress. So by the time they reach 12 years old, which is where they have all the permanent teeth, so we know that they have the knowledge to maintain the teeth as a transition to adult life. So that's our focus and, uh, with the program, and I think it's, it's a model that not only sustainable, but also very cost-effective because all these programs was based on building partnership with public-private partnership with other organizations, you know, because I, we didn't have funding, we don't have anything, but I was able to leverage true public partner, partnership uh, relationship with corporations like uh, Henry Shines or American Dental Associations who provided uh, dental supplies on an annual basis for all of our projects. Mm. And also, we build partnership with local school and part of the governments to give us access to the schools and make sure they are compliance with the programs and, and make sure they continue with it. And also, uh, 
and, and, and also bring in volunteers who really cares about children and give them the opportunities to, to get engaged because uh, the idea that only dentists uh, could solve this problem is wrong, you know, because dentists have been around for years and talk to themselves about the issue that they all know about without really taking, when really they should be focusing on getting everyone involved in really solving this problem because parents need to get involved, schools need to get involved, business needs to get involved. Everyone needs to get involved because they all got teeth. They all need to smile, you know? And right. that's our and and I was told actually last time I was at the dentist, like, yeah, like everything enters through your mouth. So it like the impact it would have on the healthcare industry as a as a whole would be yeah. astronomical, right? Yeah, it's the portal of entry to both health, good health and bad health, you know, because to your mouth, uh, you can, if, depending on your consumptions or what you, you put, you can have like a really good health. And on the other hand, also the same way, if you abuse tobacco or alcohol or oral sex or tongue piercing, all those other things that objects you put inside your mouth, that could have secondary effect on your overall health can really be uh, deadly. Mm. You know, and that's like, it is funny because, you know, um, in India, for instance, uh, and then because that's why, why we want, when we decided to go global, we wanted to go global in all the continents because we know the issue affecting oral health in Haiti is completely different than the one affecting. Uh, people in India. Mm. In India, where we have the programs, there's a heavy consumption of smokeless tobacco, where you, since people put the tobacco in your cheek, we have effects on the old tissues and the gum, and they put medication on the tooth, then that becomes more advanced, and then the, and have like pre-cancer lesions and then spankings, then it becomes all deadly problems that people are really affected with. And all this can be solved with what? 100% awareness and access to care. Right. It's as simple as that. So maybe expand a little bit more on why you chose these specific locations. And then you just said it's different in each location. Maybe explain to our audience or social entrepreneurs listening to this, thinking about expanding, you know, into different regions around the world, what you've experienced. Well, well, the interest came because people uh, started seeing the programs in Haiti, the importance of it. And then they started reaching out to me from around the world. Mm. But I said, wait a minute, this is not just a problem of Haiti, it's mm. a group. And so maybe that would give us a chance to really solve them at all at once. So what I did on is not really, because you know, for me to go to places that I've never been to, I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, would be like very difficult, you know? And that's why I delegate power to those people in the local region. So that's why we, I don't travel with dentists from the U.S. to those places. We put all our resources towards the local communities, give them power. That way they can exercise our vision much more in a much more effective way. And that takes into consideration the dignity because when I was doing those programs and studied, because they the people that we give 
the power to to implement our program, they felt very connected with it. With it. They felt very uh, 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 good about them getting involved because a lot of organizations, they go to those places, they work with the governments to get authorizations, but don't get involved the local communities. And they just completely put them aside, go to the community directly and started treating people. And guess what? The only treatment that they do, they heavily focus on treatment. Because if you go to Haiti, for instance, uh, you are an organization dealing with dental care, I guarantee you the you will not be spending your time doing root canals. You don't have the equipment, you don't have the time to do that. And for something as a feeling, even a fit as simple as a, a feeling, you will not be able to, to do that. So what do you do? You remove the tooth. Right. So a happy tooth that could be saved with just a feeling ended up being removed on a young person, leaving them missing half of their permanent teeth, which also affect the self-esteem, the diet, and a whole new problems simply because you don't have the problems and those people are relying on free care to get the, the when they can empower the local dentists to really encourage people to go to see the dentist right away once they see symptoms and get encourage them to go get routine care because doing routine cares that's when we spot uh, infections mm. so if um, routinely, we'll be able to say, hey, there's something going on here. You need to check it out or give it two weeks. If it's still there, you need to come back. We need to do biopsy. We need to do this. But if, if the person doesn't come up and show up, it doesn't solve a problem. So we, when we say we're tackling the root causes of the issue, it all has to do with all these two. Because as a charity, we don't want to kill local jobs for dentists. They study hard. You know, they, they need to make a living also, and we need to get them involved, not exclude them and say and feel good about, hey, we did this as an organization, but we have to take into consideration the local people, despite the limited resources uh, and food to go study, spend five years to go to dental school, and then many of them end, ended up not having money to open their own practice and the only job they could get that's really good is government. It's very difficult. So what's going to happen with those people, you know? And that's when we take into consideration when we, we decided to, to fully empower our local communities, get the local, local dentists the power to, to implement our model, which will give them the opportunities to grow, to make a living, and, be, and, and, be, and reduce the dependency on free care that really doesn't solve the problem because it's like a band-aid putting a band-aid on, on an infection. So it's not really solving the problem, you know? And people need to be empowered. They need economic opportunities, which is why the program is created. And then the other aspect is here in this country, we have a different level of structure in, in, in the medical field. So we have starting from dental assistant, dental hygienist, uh, dentists and dental managers. We have an entire group of people in those communities. They only have the dentists. It's mm. either you this or you nothing else, you know. And and what that does is really like uh, uh, killing the 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 system, uh, the old health infrastructure. Because uh, 
for us, we're building the entire infrastructures in those communities is key to solving this problem. Because why do for 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 what for being to to be proud mm-hmm. to be doctor that's why you need to you cannot train people to be dental assistant you cannot train them to be dental we need to build mid-level career professions in those communities use it because there's there's a lot of human capital there's a lot of talents there that can be used we need to go in those communities train those people to provide um as frontline healthcare providers and that way uh, we can spread disease early and bring more people closer to dentists and the population closer to the dentist and the dentist closer to the population. And that's only, and at the same time, create economic opportunities for everyone. You know? Well, Jean-Paul, I'm just smiling because I, I grew up in a family of dentists. My grandpa, that's kind of who you remind, remind me of my grandpa. He came to Oregon with nothing. Uh, was a medic in the Korean War. Uh, and, you know, he tells me about stories where he'd see people on the street with just messed up teeth and just take them in, uh, you know, help them fix them up, you know, little things like that. Uh, but it's this interesting, like, paradox we're living in right now. It's like, I was speaking with our boy Akon about this, actually. It's like, you know, we live in a bubble. Like, we live in a bubble. And so now we're kind of recognizing that our healthcare system, you know, there's a, sh- there's a shortage of, of medical assistance. So when you think about this now, and I'm talking about this paradox is, well, we've all, we've, it's, it's all around the country. It's all around the world. There's a shortage. There's a shortage all around the world. And we built this system. We built this system where people have to go five, 10 years of school to then be in a ton of debt and not be able to help the mass amount of half our population that don't have access to this, to this uh, medical care where all the diseases and everything enters through our, our mouths. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, so Jean-Paul, the question I have for you is you, you've talked about the volunteers. You've talked about the basic necessities that people need to learn to take care of their mouths and thus their body. Uh, you've talked about the differences in, in the different regions around the world. Um, now, why structure this as a nonprofit? I know you mentioned with the, the partnerships and everything like that. Um, but your, your model itself is almost like a for-profit model where you're building and educating and, and growing to have an exp- exponential impact in these areas. Why structure this as a nonprofit? I'm just out of curiosity. Um, and then would you ever think about making it into a for-profit and why and why not? Yes. I mean, that's a, that's a very good, uh, questions. And, and because, you know, again, and we struggled with this uh, for a while to figure out how we're going to be able to raise money to really, for the kind of work that we've done, as I mentioned, you know, it's, the organization is underfunded. And the program success that we have doesn't really reflect the financial success of the organization. And again, it's specifically because people really don't see the importance of this program because, oh, it's just tea. But they don't see the the kind of work that we are doing, building from, uh, you know, tackling the root causes around the issue while creating economic opportunities for other people. So we are still thinking about uh, refining our models because as organizations, uh, when, and, you know, as a leader, I, I know you reserve this for, for later, but as a leader, you need to be able to, to pivot, you know, and, and, and adapt to changes whether it's environmental changes, 
or uh, political or infrastructure changes to really get the result you want done, you know? Because as a leader, you cannot say, you know what? That's what, and be stuck up, you know, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to make sure it does, even though it doesn't work, you know? Because, you know, at some point you just really have to sit back and say, you know what? If we do it this way, it could be more successful with the goal of really taking care of the people that you want to take care, you know? And, and we, we have this in mind and we work in new models. In fact, we already trademarked the, the, the name Unspoken Smiles. Uh, so we're finalizing that, that process so that we're able to create a sustainable revenue stream to our products uh, and other things that are even thinking about launching a toothbrush uh, uh, company under our name so that we can use that mm -hmm. revenue stream to really increase our program impact, including building uh, dental clinics in areas that need them the most. So right now we're in another crisis. COVID-19 has struck. It's a pandemic. People are asked to stay inside. Um, as we know, diseases and viruses can enter through our mouths as well. Um, how has this impacted your organization and what was your response to this virus? Yeah, I mean, again, so when I, I, I as a leader, I said I'm a problem solver and, and that's what I'm set to do. You know, when the 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 issue came in, in, in with uh, COVID-19, I knew because our program is really uh, around one-on-one -on -one interactions. Because we know we bring volunteers to the schools, they teach the kids, they interact with them with activities, teach them how to brush properly and all those kind of things. It's a really one-on-one -on -one interaction because that way, what we want to do is to influence their behavior, you know? Because and it takes uh, about, according to experts, it takes about 90 days to really change the behavior. And as such, we design a program to make it like a continuous to ensure that we get that one-on-one -on -one interaction with people. So now, when the problem came in, we and the school closures were announced, we knew that we couldn't physically be inside the schools to to do our programs, and and that's when we we came up. Immediately, I came up with the idea to really uh, move on Spoken Smiles online, you know, and, and using the same format that we have in terms of uh, keep still using the knowledge of passing on the uh, education to them to online virtual uh, system, but also use a system, uh, uh, use the resources available to the governments to get uh, the resources to the kids. So one way I'm thinking, so uh, recently I just packed a ton of supplies uh, of toothbrushes and toothpaste and educations that would be given to the kids uh, because, you know, even though the school is uh, closed, there, uh, there are kids with essential, uh, uh, with whose parents are essential workers that still needs to go to those school settings. So we are targeting those kids uh, first. And in addition to that, some of the schools, they have, um, they have uh, because most of the schools that we, we serve, they are in underserved communities and homeless. And their kids, uh, they, the, the New York City Mayor's Office created a program 
where they can go and get meals, free meals every day uh, uh, to drop off system. So what we are doing, we're contacting the right people and to get to the right mediums to distribute the dental supplies and education bags to, the, to the, those locations. When parents and kids come to pick up the meals, they will also receive the package. Mm. So that not only will they benefit from our virtual education program, but they'll also receive uh, a two partnership again with the government or local schools to receive um, free or hygiene kits. So that way they can maintain healthy habits, not just education. Why is it important? Because right now everyone is, in, is on lockdown. Uh, there's going to be heavy consumptions of, of food. And a lot of those food will be unhealthy. And what happens when you consume a lot of unhealthy uh, food, then you develop cavities. They start small and then they grow, 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 grow. Now you cannot go to the dentist right now because most of the dental clinics are closed. You know? and, and then because cavities, they are chronic, they don't show signs right away. It takes longer time to, 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 to figure out. And you can only spot them through screening and dental visit. So I expect a lot of kids will develop a lot more cavities unless they participate in our programs that sensibilizes them to, to, to do not skip the, the brushing routines. They still need to brush twice a day, even though they are at home, they feel comfortable and, 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 and to do that. So we're launching our campaigns um, uh, over the next couple of weeks to really give them and keep those resources available to them so that way they, they know they, they cannot skip any uh, brushing routines because that way they will develop a power. So that's our response to, to the COVID-19 situations in terms of moving our programs, the lesson and awareness campaigns right, online, but still figure out ways to distribute the supplies that we we have in our dis, uh, 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 in our uh, disposal to to local school system, and then get them the opportunities to distribute them themselves and reduce uh, the need for us to be exposed to the infection. Because uh, if I had to be out there to distribute them myself, I could be exposed. And if I get something and I pass it on to other people, they could be exposed. So that's our response in terms of protecting ourselves and also our communities, but still. Uh, figure out a way to 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 deliver a promise to bring more smiles at home, especially in those times of needs. You know. Well, talk about essentials. You know, I mean, toothbrush, toothpaste, smiles. It's all there. That's essential, people. So, Jean Paul, we we kind of started this conversation uh, about a boy growing up in Haiti, and you know, uh, not really experiencing anything else, and then going to the United States and looking back and, and just having a change of perspective, you know, and then kind of carried this on to continue to say, you know, smiling is a, a language itself as well. So Mr. Mayor, the question for you is, what is your message to people out uh, there right now going through the quarantine? Well, I mean, the, the my message for them is, uh, is, is really first to be safe, stay home, you know, and and then that's the first message and the most important one, you know, because if the health is not here, whatever you stand for cannot stand, you know. And, and I think that it's important for people 
to, to really take that into consideration to not spread the, the infections to other people. You know, that's the first. Then the, the second thing is people need to, to figure out a way to deal with uh, this stressful situation because um, many people are not exposed to those kind of uh, situations ever before in their life. I grew up in Haiti. I at a very young age, I experienced lockdowns, the political instabilities. I experienced hunger. I experienced a lot of things that uh, many people may not have experienced in the U.S. So in one way, I'm resilient uh, to what's happening and able to manage uh, the situation much better than most people who have never who are facing those kind of things for the first time. So my first my five recommendation to them would be first to to really talk to your family, you know, get closer to people uh, and you care about, you love, and and stay in touch with them. Whether it's to virtually to to not lock yourself inside and just be be alone and de uh, depressed, but connect with people online and 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 talk to them, participate in. Uh, weekly happy hours. There's a lot of organizations who are doing this. Just figure out a way to connect with that and connect to your friends and people. And the second thing I would recommend is to really get the facts, you know, because there's a lot of misinformation out there and um, uh, you, you will put a lot of stress on yourself to, to get misinformation to enter your, your, your private space, especially in, the, in those times. So get the facts straight from reputable organizations such as CDC, the World Health Organization, to really know, stay up to date on what you need to do to protect yourself and your family and everything like that. Mm -hmm. but also, uh, I recommend people to not not drink, you know, because a lot of this time, I mean, happy hours, you can have one drink and, and have fun, but uh, if you in the depression mode and heavy consumption of alcohol or drugs would really like be deadly, you know? Mm. This is not something you want to do at the moment because you don't know how long we're gonna um, be here. And if you rely on alcohol or drugs to really get you to, to feel good, then you will need more and more, which could become deadly. So mm. how would you keep people from getting there? And lastly, I would say, um, Find a hobby, you know, use your hobby that you like to really get you to this. You know, for me, I love ballroom dancing. You know, that's what I do. I, I love that. I can dance in my room. I put on my favorite um, uh, videos of, of my favorite dancers or dance competition. I also have myself uh, dancing on YouTube. I watch myself dancing sometimes and, and she say, oh, man, I could have done this move better and practice them at home. Find something that you like and hobby to really keep you emotionally balanced and, and just uh, be able to deal with this, you know? So that was, those are my recommendations to, to people. Listen. Well, we won't make you dance right now. I'm sure the audience would love to see it, but uh, we won't make you dance, maybe for another time. Uh, Jean-Paul, I just want to appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, now, you mentioned um, a few questions ago that, you know, a leader is able to pivot uh, and adapt to change. Um, from all your experiences, from from the early stages of, of having this calling with the earthquake to uh, live a life of servitude, to focus on marginalized communities, to help out those in need, to adapt and to change, 
to you, Jean-Paul, after all these experiences, what do you believe uh, a real leader is? I think a real leader is a listener. Mm. Because uh, for me, I've done, uh, I specifically done those listening tours in those countries and communities because I love being physically in those communities, not just a uh, stay as a leader or use the title. In fact, uh, I don't use the title of CEOs or, or chief executive anywhere. You know, it's the mayor smile or just like your friend, you know, and who's there to, to help you uh, with those communities. So when I go to those communities, I know firsthand uh, what those people are going through. You know, I spent about a month in India in the most remote areas in, 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 in indigenous communities without uh, communication mm-hmm. to the outside world. I was literally the only person from outside the country uh, in that region. Yet I learned so much from that community by just being there, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I think every real leader should be able to experience those moments, especially, specifically if they work in those fields, you know? And, and so that way, you're able to, to really make decisions that benefits the people you are set to, to serve, you know? Because if you don't know what they're going to, if you don't know what's ex- important to them, and by shoveling them, uh, say, uh, your thinking or your, uh, your, uh, your products onto them, then I think it's really wrong, you know? And that's why with our programs, even though we receive um, supplies from... Uh, many companies, we used to supplies from Colgate, we used to supplies from Any Shines, uh, many companies, and we don't really need to compete with anyone, you know, because, you know, the important thing is not what we use to get uh, to our result, but it's how you use it. Whether someone use Colgate or they use Crest, I don't really care. But I, as long as they use it properly to, to achieve that optimal oral health, that's what is important to me. And that's why when I go to those communities, I don't tell them, you have to use Colgate, you have to use your pro- our product. I learn what they use. What are they currently using that's important to them, why it's important to them. And some of those communities, they don't use products that have chemicals. They want to use natural products. But I learn as much as I can about what they use and listen to them and give them recommendation based on what I think as a clinicians who have experience in this field will benefit them, you know? So I think listening is a very good skill and really important in terms of being a real leader. And I've learned this and, and we'll continue to do this throughout, throughout uh, any project that I, I undertake because I think you have shown that you really care about the people and you really end up achieving much more by knowing what people care about, you know? And if I were to set up a business, then you would be easily uh, accepted by that community because it comes from that community. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's funny. Well, Jean-Paul, I just appreciate your time coming on the Realist Podcast today. Glad we were able to finally get you on. I know we've been uh, chalking up for a while. Um, so we'll make sure to get this out to you. Hopefully get this in the right hands and, and ears of people. 
uh, to make a difference in this world. Uh, For the Mayor of Smile, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be a good listener, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Sean Paul. Thanks for the opportunities, you know, and hopefully one day I will make the cover letter of this prestigious magazine. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly. We'll get you on, brother. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right, good people. And thank you for tuning into this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast with Jean-Paul Laurent. He kind of snuck one in there at the end, didn't he? He's a funny guy. But, you know, maybe one day he might be on the front cover of the magazine. If you enjoy this episode, let us know. Leave a review and tell us why you think Jean-Paul needs to be on that front cover. For the visual learners today, all the visual learners, you want to watch this episode you want to watch and learn and you need something in front of you please visit our new youtube channel it's at real leaders magazine and thank you for everyone else who has subscribed to that channel already all right folks that's it for me today thanks again for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode of the real leaders podcast